Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, Tuesday edition. And this is where we have an open discussion on biblical questions, where you and the audience can participate. And I want to emphasize that as we discuss your questions and make comments, that we always default to what the Bible has to say on the matter. Which means, by the way, that sometimes we may not have a clear biblical answer, which you may see today. Um, if you're watching today through BibleQuest.tv, that means you're using the Zoom app. Therefore, please text us your questions using the Q&A window. You see the Q&A button at the top. Just click on that and it'll pop up the window. You might want to keep it open and just type in your questions. Our panelists are Stephen from Gettysburg, PA. Hi, Stephen. Hey, Drew. Good to see you. Scott, also from Gettysburg. Hi, Scott. Morning, gentlemen, or afternoon, excuse me. Yeah, good afternoon. And Noah, our webcast engineer, he'll be managing your questions and comments as they come in today. Hi, Noah. Hey, how you doing? Okay. Uh, I'm your host, Rudy Grotto from Holmesdale, Pennsylvania. Welcome, everybody, to the show. And if you're joining us through my Facebook live feed today, please feel free to leave any questions you have or comments in the comments below, and we'll try to get to those as soon as we can in the order they come in. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. Thank you, Stephen. That's great. And, uh, yeah, ask your questions, text them in uh, as, you, as you see it happening as we're discussing these things. Hopefully it will spark some questions. Um, Stephen, I think our first question today is something to do with Christianity, the only way to heaven. Yeah. So we had a submitted question uh, that is, is Christianity the only way to heaven? Uh, and there are several uh, passages mentioned here that we can look at in just a moment. Um, but really the question that arises is if Jesus was claiming that he's the only way and he's not the only way, does that make him a liar? Um, is this kind of a, only one way to really view this? Um, so let's look at a couple of the biblical texts mentioned here and uh, talk about those. The first text that we have uh, with this question, is Christianity the only way to heaven? Uh, is John 14 and verse 6. John chapter 14 and verse 6. So let's read that together. Uh, and this is the context. Jesus is talking with his disciples on the night he's betrayed. And uh, let's actually back up real quick and start in verse 1. Uh, Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Here's our verse, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. It's a helpful text. What are y'all's thoughts on that? First thing we want to point out is the text doesn't say that Christianity is the way. It says that Jesus is the way. Uh, people can define Christianity in different things. Some people would define Christianity as anything 
today that is a religion having to do with the church or any belief in Christ at all, which those are all across the spectrum and things that they practice do in different things. Um, there's following Christ in the Bible, which is our responsibility to do. Uh, Peter talks about if any suffers in, in, in the name of a Christian, we need to be Christians and we need to follow Christ. But it is Christ that is the way. It's not us. It's Christ. And one simple way of putting that would be this. Um, was Isaiah saved? I'd say so, yes. Yeah, we, we would expect Isaiah to have eternal life. Was he a Christian? No. Not in the same sense that we're Christians. Right. Uh, did Jesus die for Isaiah's sins? Certainly. In fact, in Isaiah 53, whose sins did Isaiah say Jesus died for? Born our griefs and our sorrows. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Does that mean Isaiah understood everything about the sufferings of Christ, which he wrote about? In Certainly fact, not. Peter says what? That yeah. the prophets wondered what time or manner of time they were writing about when they talked about the sufferings of Christ. But there's a passage in Hebrews 9 that points out that Jesus died not just for people under the new covenant, but under the old. Hebrews 9, verse 15, this is in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 9, verse, um, what did I say, 15? Yeah. 15. Mm -hmm. For this cause he is a mediator of a new covenant, that is a death having taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first covenant. They that have been called may receive the promise of the internal inheritance. Uh, this is also addressed in Romans chapter 3. Jesus' blood is for people before the cross and for people after cross. But only after the cross could we be Christians, uh, which helps again to focus on the point that Jesus say, is saying that he is the way. Yeah. It's not that we are the way. It's not that the church is the way. It's Jesus is the way. The church yeah. are those who walk in the way. The yeah, question, that's, that's, the, the, uh, go ahead, hold on a second, but the question that, as it was written, as I, I was reading in a blog article also about this topic, from my point of view, the, my opinion is the question is implying a denominational worldview and that people would are looking at Christianity as a denomination of serving God in a particular way and that it's, it's, it's not, it, it's too, you got to go through that. What's the word I'm looking for? It's too uh, exclusive to say that um, Christianity is the only way to God. And usually when people say that, they're wanting to say, in fact, you even hear people say this a lot. They say there are a lot of roads to heaven. Yeah. You know, all roads lead to the same place. There's a lot of roads to heaven. You can get there by Buddha. You can get there by Muhammad. You can get there by uh, Jesus. You can get there all sorts of ways. All roads lead to the same place. What did Jesus say about where roads lead in Matthew 7? Oh, not all roads lead to righteousness. In fact, narrow is the way that yeah. to righteousness. Yeah. Yeah, let's read and Jesus' said, words there in Matthew chapter 7, uh, where he talks about the two ways, and this is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. This is Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. 
For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So those are the words of Jesus on that. Uh, he, he makes no apology for the fact that most people are on a path that will lead to destruction, and few people are on the path that will lead to life. Yeah. Stephen, now that you bring that one up, it's interesting that he says something that seems to be the opposite of that. No, in, in, starting in verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. And so right yeah, everyone he says, well, why, why would this then be? If that's the case, then why is the road to righteousness so narrow? Well, go ahead, Scott. Notice that it said those who seek will find. Exactly. Uh, Let's go back to what the prophet said to, I believe, King Asa. Second Chronicles 15, I believe. Yeah. Spirit of God came upon Azariah. I'm in the Old Testament now. This is Second Chronicles chapter 15, verse 1. So we're, we're trying to do a better job here on the webcast of, of citing our scriptures and getting them out there. So Second Chronicles 15, verse 1, beginning. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went to meet Asa, and he said to him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. Jehovah is with you while you are with him, and if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And I believe, is it in Jeremiah where it talks about if you diligently seek me? Yeah, I was actually just about to go to that verse. It's Jeremiah 29, the kind of famous verse that you see printed everywhere is Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, uh, which in the context is talking about uh, plans for the nation of Israel to go through captivity and then to come out of captivity. But it's right after that that this principle, I think, is true for all seekers of God. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning in verse 12. Jeremiah 29, 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so the Lord is very specific in saying, this is not just a half-hearted seeking. This is not a lip service thing. Uh, and of course, Jesus will say in that same context of the Sermon on the Mount, Why many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we do these things in your name? And he says, I never knew you. So it's not just a, a seeking in the general sense of, oh, I, I'm a Christian, I go to a church somewhere, but a devotion to Jesus and his ways. Uh, I think that's what's implied when he talks about the narrow road, the broad road. Uh, the narrow road are those who are serious about it, who are seeking the Lord with all their heart. And in fact, don't we have a passage in the New Testament that talks about God letting people believe a lie if they don't have a love for the truth? Let's look at the Thessalonians. So this is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And it says here in verse 10, it talks about the deceit of unrighteousness for those that perish because they received not a love of the truth that they might be saved. 
For this cause, God sends him a working of error that they should believe a lie, that they all might be judged who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So one of the things that can come to play is when, well, let, let, let me put it this way. We can approach the Bible, and when we look at the Word of God and it doesn't fit what we want to think or do, we can do a couple of things. We can change ourselves to fit the Lord's Word. That's called, but, humbling, that's called humbling yourself. Yes, yes. That requires humbleness and obedience and, and following and, and, and discipleship. Uh, but there's another popular method. And that's where if you want to don't change yourself and don't humble yourself, then what are we going to end up changing? Changing the word. Yeah. And so as Second Peter says, we will end up twisting the word. And if we want the word twisted, is it pretty easy to find teachers who will tickle our ears? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. yeah, I was just reading in, in that article, uh, a, 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 an American Orthodox Jewish rabbi. And I'm going to quote him, and it says here, and I'll, I can put a link up, anybody wants to read the article. It says, I'm absolutely against any religion that says one faith is superior to another. I don't see how that is anything different than spiritual racism. It's a way of saying we are closer to God than you, and that's what leads to hatred. Wow. Very sh- strong statement. Also, is he hating people that think that there's only one way? That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Well, and, and there, there's Satanist as well. You know, if you're going to say that every religion is equal, do you have to grant the same thing there as well? Steve, right. we had a end up. We had a, a comment come in just a minute ago from Jenny, and it, she asks, what if people believe since you're already saved by grace, you don't have to seek him any further? because he already has you and you're already saved. Well, in Romans six really addresses uh, that across the board. If a person is saved by grace and that is how we are saved, Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves and created verse 10 for good works. That's Ephesians chapter two, verse eight through 10. But if we take the idea that, well, since we're saved by grace, we can go ahead and sin, uh, that's answered in the sixth chapter of Romans. What shall we say then? This is uh, Romans chapter six, verse one. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, we who died to sin, how shall we any longer live therein? Are you ignorant that all we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him through baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead through glory of the Father, so we might also walk in newness of life. Jesus wants to wash away our sins, not so that we can keep doing them, but in turning from us to verse 6, we're to crucify that old man, bury it in the waters of baptism, be washed in the blood of Jesus, rise to walk in newness of life. So uh, if somebody could read verse 11 and 12, and then we'll go down and hit also verse 15. Can you repeat the uh, book again? Verse. This is Romans chapter 6. I'll start with verse 11. Even so, reckon yourselves to be dead unto sin, 
but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey the lust thereof. Neither present your members unto sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves unto God as alive from the dead. And in verse 15, what then? Shall we sin? Because we are not under law, but under grace, God forbid. Know ye not that to whom you present yourselves as servants to obedience, his servants you are whom you obey, whether of sin unto what? Death. Death, or of obedience unto what? Righteousness. Righteousness. So grace is what we need because we've sinned, but grace is not an excuse to continue in sin or refuse to obey. Uh, but does that ha- tie that in with the, the statement, though, that you don't have to seek him any further because well, you're all there, he already has you? Yeah. Um, you look at Ephesians, the letter to uh, Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, and they're doing a lot of things right, but there's one complaint against them they're told to repent of, and that's what? That they had left their first love. Yeah. And it said, return and, and, and repent. Um, so that's, that's seeking him. That's seeking him, that returning. Yeah, yeah, it, it's involved in that. Um, it, it, seeking God is not one time, uh, you know, oh, found him, done. Now let me get on with everything else in life. It, it's following him. If you, if you, do you remember when Andrew was in John chapter one, he's with, John the Baptist, who he was a disciple of, John the Baptist indicated Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. What did Andrew do? I forgot. Take a look at John chapter one. Again, on the morrow, John was standing. I'm in verse five. Two of the disciples. He looked on Jesus. He said, Behold the Lamb of God. Two of the disciples heard him speak. One of them was Andrew. And what did he do? What verse you would? Because when you said the verse, it was garbled. Oh, we're now in verse 37. John 1, verse 37. When the two disciples heard John say that that was the Lamb of God, what did they do? They followed Jesus. Yeah, they followed him. Did they take a couple of steps, say, There, I followed him, I'm done? No, so they, they kept following him. And you following him. Yeah, and, yeah. And with this, language of, with, with this language of seeking, I think it's also notable in the Old Testament with David, described as a man after God's own heart, in Psalm 27 and verse 8. Uh, David writes, and we would describe David as a man who's close to God uh, already, but he says, of God, he says, you have said, seek my face my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek? Oh, and yeah, continual thing. Very good. It's a continual thing. David didn't just say, oh, I'm close to God. I'm good. Uh, he continually sought the Lord, sought his face. Uh, and that's an ongoing action. Well, you know, there are a couple of other um, scriptures. Uh, as we think about just the claim that Jesus made that he is the only way um, and, and the claim that really is made in biblical Christianity, using that term specifically, just talking about people who are following Christ. Um, If we look at Ephesians chapter 4, for instance, uh, there's some statements made there. Um, Actually, before we get to that one, let's look at Acts chapter 4. 
um, in verse 12, uh, Peter and John are brought before the Jewish council in this context, and they take the opportunity to talk to them. And Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 11, talking to the Jews, they say, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So Peter and John make no apologies uh, in talking to the Jews and saying that there's no other way. There's no other name you can call on and be saved other than the name of Jesus. And that is, that is not popular in our culture. Our culture is, uh, of course, there's a lot of value in these things in a lot of ways, uh, but like equality, tolerance, you know, things like that. Nothing's wrong. Everybody's fine. Everything, everything's okay. And so to make an exclusive claim really goes against the grain of a lot of people. But let's, let's think about this claim. If you say, oh, that would be um, to, to say that Jesus was better than Muhammad, that he was better than Moses, which is kind of part of Hebrews, uh, that he was better than uh, Buddha, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that, that would, is what the writer said, spiritual racism, I think was the phrase you used a minute ago. Yeah. Well, let's, let's look at some facts. Um, when Buddha died, they buried him. And then what happened? He stayed that way. Yeah. When Muhammad died, they buried him. And then what happened? Same thing. He stayed dead. Yeah. Moses died, was buried, you know, stayed, stayed dead. Jesus died three days later. The tomb was empty. Yeah, that's a difference. That's not the same. You know, one of these things is not like the other. Uh, only Jesus is the one who the word was in the beginning, was with God, was was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Only Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Only Jesus then rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God. Uh, so if you're looking at the realities of what happened, Muhammad never claimed to and never did die for our sins. Buddha never claimed to, it never did rise from the dead uh, and, and, and overcome. Now they believe in reincarnation for everybody, but that's something different. That's not a resurrection. And, and really it doesn't make sense as we're talking about like reality and truth, which really religion is, is more than just worship. It's a, it's a worldview. We're looking at how do we view uh, how we got here, where we're going. Um, and, and to make the statement that all truth is relative, which is really what it boils down to when we try to say, well, no religion is better than another because they claim different truths, different worldviews. And just step back and say, no, nope, all equal value. Well, is that statement of equal value? <laughs> uh, it, it, all truth is relative. Well, is that true? Is, is that true today? Right. Is that true? You know, and, and, and it, it's a self-defeating argument when you try to back up and say that every opinion of every kind is equal. Now, there's some limited scenarios in which we could say on this particular topic or on this other thing, well, there's different ways to do it. But when you talk about the facts of truth, which is really what religions claim to have, everyone has their worldview, their claim to truth. If you just 
throw up your arms and say, oh, they're all good. You can't do that. That doesn't work. Uh, logically, philosophically, you can't defend that position that all truth is relative. And, and it just gets into ridiculousness. For Let's go back to this. That all religions are equal. So, uh, Molech. You know, uh, or What's some... Who's Molech? Uh, Molech, the god that they... The, the uh, fire god that, uh, of some sort. I don't know what type of god he was exactly, but the statues had a furnace down under the belly and sloped hands like this and they came and put babies on the sloped hands and just rolled them into the fire. Um, you, you had the, the sexual orgies among the Canaanites in, and, and other pagans in their religion. It's, you know, I, for people today that say every religion is equal. I think if you had some, you know, real old time pagans next door doing what old time pagans used to do. I think people would call the police. Oh, yeah. absolutely. This question does stem itself, uh, stems from the, the thought that uh, based on what you know, Jenny had made a comment, and I think the question actually starts with that, um, from that perspective. It says, these people believe everything will always be forgiven no matter what, and they don't think that God would ever really send anyone to such a place as what the Bible describes as what we understand as hell. And so people look at it from that point then that God wants to send people there. But that's, that's a mis, misstatement too. God doesn't want to send anybody there. Second Peter says God's not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So our, our job, we don't need to provide the way Jesus provided the way, but we need to be willing to humble ourselves and repent. That's, that's our task. It's our role. Um, Jenny also asked, why is so much immorality so okay today? Um, Reminds me of the time of Isaiah. What are those that call good, good evil and evil good? Yeah. Yeah, that's Isaiah chapter 5, isn't it? Uh, if you look at that passage, um, people don't view it as immorality as one thing. This is Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. Isaiah five twenty. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And, you know, we might include in that verse 21, the very next verse, it says, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. That's really verse 21 leads to verse 20. uh, When we are wise in our own eyes, and we think our view of what's right and wrong is better than God's, then we'll find a way to justify whatever immoral behavior we, enjoy, we like. And then we'll say that anybody who opposes the immoral behavior that I like, they're evil, they're intolerant, they're wrong. But it's all just really to justify what I like, what I want. Let's tie this in to some current events, because how long have we heard the relativistic viewpoint, you know, there's no, you know, real right or wrong, everything's just cultural, Um, you know, do what you want to do, I'm okay, you're okay, etc. The two big stories in the news uh, over the last week or so, there, there was this horrible mass killing in Nevada. 
by a wicked, wicked man who just killed a bunch of people. Uh, and we don't even know if he had some twisted reason or what it might be. Uh, and, and then we've got, there's the Harvey Weinstein, uh, uh, Weinstein story and about his depravity and, and abuse of his power and, and, and assaults and stuff. And most people are admitting that that behavior is wrong. Well, what makes it wrong? You know, th- there are things that are wrong. And in our culture, we have gotten where we accept more and more and more. But this past week, a couple of things have come out that society is, is, is being not reminded, oh, there are some things that are wrong. People are wicked. People are sinful. They do wicked and sinful things. And we can either look to God's word, walk in his ways, repent, and, and, and appreciate the blood of Jesus Christ and being forgiven, or we can continue and get more and more depraved. And as people get more and more depraved, they want to justify what they're doing, Steve. And really, this leads into one of the open questions that we wanted to pose to our audience this week. And that is specifically, we're wanting to hear from people who would say that they're an atheist. They don't believe in God or an objective source of morality. And the question we want to pose to those who would hold that position is, how do you, um, how do you define morality? Um, how do you define, how do you, can you tell if something is moral behavior or immoral behavior? On what basis would you make a distinction between those two things? Because almost everyone would believe that you draw a line somewhere. But the question becomes, well, what's the standard? How do we distinguish uh, between what's moral and immoral? Uh, those who are coming from a Christian worldview, uh, a biblical worldview, say, well, what God has shown us in his word shows us what is moral and what is immoral. God gets to call the shots. He created us. He made us. He put us here. Um, but when we get outside of that, as more and more of our culture is doing, are trying to reject uh, that, that kind of a worldview, where does that leave us? And so we want to pose that question to the audience and ask um, if you are someone who is an atheist or perhaps you're listening and you have some friends who are, are, are atheist or perhaps agnostic is just to, to ask and say, what is the source of morality? Uh, how do you define morality and define things that are right and wrong? Because this has real implications for our culture, for our families, for our schools, um, how we decide what's, what's right and wrong. Um, and is there a basis for that? Cassandra uh, just wrote in, and I was thinking about this too, because this is the answer I've heard. I've often heard the line is, when it harms others. And that, that's just an important distinction. But then let's ask some questions. Well, how do you define harm? And let me give two illustrations to illustrate that. Let's take this uh, producer who is using his position in Hollywood in access to films and Oscars and different things to pressure and manipulate women into accepting his perverted advances and, and such. Uh, some opposed him and went to the police. Some caved and, and went along because they wanted to further their careers and stuff. People reacted in a variety of different ways but for the ones who were pressured by him and then felt, well, I don't want 
to lose my position in the film industry. I don't want to miss out on a film. And so went along. That didn't mean they weren't being harmed, but you'd say, well, but they, they didn't want that to happen. But at one level, what they're doing is they're, some of them, uh, it, there's, there's a, uh, article just out today detailing some of this. Some of them were, in essence, agreeing to something that they didn't want to get something else they did want, which is what a prostitute does, by the way. Not, not that all these women were. And kudos, for example, the woman who immediately went to the police. I really respect that. Um, but if you take a physical labor job and you're going to dig ditches all day is it going to hurt yeah 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 at the end of the day your back is going to what yeah you're going to look forward to 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 hearing you know done we can go and you're going to go oh good and you're going to lie down on the couch get a glass of iced tea because that hurt well why were you willing to be hurt because you you were paying money yeah right honest transaction. I'm willing to go through the hurt and discomfort of this to get that money. That's honest and noble and worthy. Prostitution involves hurt, but it's not noble and worthy. And uh, so there's just simply saying whether or not it harms somebody um, isn't necessarily the whole picture. Well, that, that statement leads into the question though, why is it not noble? Where does morality come from if it's not coming from God? Yeah, and who gets to decide if it's right or wrong? And if I decide, let's say, let's say Drew has a bunch of money and he's counting it on his table and Drew doesn't know how much money he made today, but the cash is all there and he steps over to get a cup of coffee. So I slip, you know, a few fifties in my pocket. Does Drew ever know it was missing? Not if I didn't know it was there to begin with. He didn't know it was there to begin with. So I'm going to say, well, he doesn't know what hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but no, that's still stealing. Thou shalt not steal. It's still stealing. But, but even people that were posing the question too would agree that that's wrong. Some would, and I think some might. Maybe wouldn't, okay, okay. But some would, most yeah, yeah. would. But uh, most would agree that that is wrong. And so I think it's an, it's an open question that we're not, we, we can't answer it today, nor do we have the capability to answer it, but we do want to have a sincere, honest discussion on that. Where, where does morality come from, bottom line? Yeah, yeah, and a, and a lot of people would say, if you have a whole lot of money, more than you need, and I don't have a whole lot of money, I'm entitled to. And therefore the That's person not. with, and, and it's and it come, it's coming a standard that the person with that money is being, is acting immorally if they don't give it to you. Yeah, yeah, and, and I got a right to take it. Stephen? Some people's money. Stephen? We've got a comment come in from Holly who says, this reminds me of the verse where Paul talks about our conscience being seared. And that right. verse is in First Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, 1 Timothy 4, verse 2. Uh, we'll start in verse 1. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And he goes on to talk about some other specifics of the false teaching that was going on 
Um, but generally that has to happen for, for all false teaching to really hold and, and to really reject morality and to redefine some things. But we got to uh, many times redirect our conscience. Our conscience, uh, I've heard it said that it's like an alarm clock. You know, uh, it's helpful when it goes off, but it has to be set right. <laughs> uh, you yeah. have to set your conscience on what's right. And if you sear your conscience, yes. it's not going to feel wrong to you. Sorry, Stephen. Scott, did you have something? Back to this thing about whether or not it harms others. How many times have you heard people say, like, well, pornography, it doesn't hurt anybody. You know, you're not hurting anybody else. Well, yeah, you might not personally be hurting the person across the street from you, but, but you're hurting yourself. You're hurting your potential spouse. You're hurting your potential children. You're hurting society. And if you just look across society at the problems being caused by pornography, it's just a horrendous epidemic. Uh, and let's take uh, the, this guy that shot all the people in Las Vegas. We know a little bit about him because he sued uh, one of the casinos when he slipped and fell a while back. And there was some testimony in there where he kind of described his life. Um, and he, he said, I don't do son. He, t- he would sleep all day, go to the casino, you know, through the night and just sometimes seven days a week, uh, you know, just all day, just gambling, 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 drinking prostitutes, gambling, gambling, drinking prostitutes. Gam- and a lot of people would have said if if somebody would have uh, objected to that lifestyle, somebody said, he's not hurting anybody. He wasn't. I think that's a pretty worthless, immoral lifestyle to begin with. And we talked about searing consciences. What did he end up doing? Now, not everybody that lives that lifestyle certainly does that, but he didn't go from a love of God and a love of his neighbor to killing 58 people. He went from a life of selfish, selfish, selfish indulgence to more depraved sin. Steven. Yeah, it's just uh, scary to think about uh, what happens when we reject God's standards. I know Romans chapter 1 uh, talks about really, it's a picture of what happens when we turn away from God. And there's over and over in that chapter, it says God gave them up to these things. Um, and that's one of the scariest things that can happen is when God just lets us follow our own impulses. And again, uh, there would be those who say, oh, it's not hurting anybody. Well, when we just follow what we think is good and what we think is right or feels good, it, it results in, in terrible, terrible things. Now, here's an interesting comment. I'd ima- I imagine secular morality is driven by something similar to an ever-changing social contract, driven by the majority on a regional level. And I'm not sure that's what people would say, but I think that's how it kind of works. Thinking about examples such as the LGBTQ rights. One thing I would say on that is, in some cases, it may be the majority uh, on some of these viewpoints. But I think much of this ever-changing social contract is driven by the loudest and most aggressive. Hmm, interesting. You, you've got, you've got. Uh, certain segments in our culture 
which are absolutely determined to promote their agenda. And they are the loudest and they are the most aggressive and they are taking the opportunities to push and push. And a lot of people, they're, they're like tall grass in the wind. And if it's blowing this way, that's where they're at. If it's blowing that way, that's where they're at. And this rather in, small number of people sometimes are just absolutely pushing and promoting their agenda. And as disciples of Christ, sometimes we're perhaps too passive and not aggressive enough. I'm not saying that we should be hostile and mean and ugly, but you know, we don't need to become this. Uh, we, the Lord has given us an agenda. We're to be a light to the world. We can't change the world, but it's our job to be a light and see what they want to do about it. And a, a small minority can affect people around them. And it depends on the people around them. And it also depends on whether or not you're willing to stand up and push your agenda. There's a lot of people today willing to push some pretty perverted agendas. Mm-hmm. And, and really, when, when you think about trying to defend a position like that, well, morality is local and cultural. Um, and if we did take, like, let's just say American morality, and you looked at it 50 years ago, and you look yeah. at it today, yeah. it's different. a little frightening. To yeah, think about how quickly it has changed. And so, again, if you say, oh, no, all culture, uh, all morality is that way. Well, what about in another 50 years? Mm-hmm. What, yeah. what, what about when things that you think are depraved all and right. frightening become normal to the people around you? If, if our basis is the people and the people are headed in a certain direction, they don't just stop heading in that direction. Uh, it progresses and it progresses and it progresses. And if that's your basis, you have no basis on which to say, stop it. <laughs> Here's a comment just came in from Jake. He says, what about violence committed by religious people? And there certainly is. I mean, you look at most of the Islamic terrorism, that's violence permitted by religious people. Uh, sometimes not as religious as you might think. I read a book on Islamic terrorists uh, being interviewed, uh, some in prison and different things. And some of them, the motives weren't always as religious as you might've expected, but it's certainly involved in the mix. And with some of them, it's primary. Uh, and then of course you had the crusades. So there it's, uh, uh, there, there's certainly people have done that. What about violence committed by religious people? They may not be serving God the right way. Exactly. But they fit the check boxes of a moral life. No, if you're out there being, uh, doing things, if you're bombing abortion clinics, if you are uh, blowing up innocent people at a mall, if you're, you know, that's not a moral life. They may be doing it in the name of God, but you you can can claim something and then pursue your own agenda. That doesn't make it God's fault. That's still your fault. So he'd say, I disagree that Shooter's lifestyle was the reason why he did what he did. Oh, it's not all. I don't know why he did, but I do know he didn't go from a moral, loving lifestyle to that. He went from, for example, there in the news, there was a, a prostitute who told about her dealings with him. She dealt with him for years. And he said one of the things he wanted was to act out rape fantasies, violent rape fantasies. So he was a wicked, 
by, in fact, she said that he bragged about how bad he was and that he was born bad. And he just, uh, his father, by the way, was a, a, a bank robber. Uh, one time tried to kill a police officer with a car. He, he came from a bad family. He, he was a bad person. He did not go from moral, kind, loving to this. Now, he went from selfish indulgent to this, and we don't know why yet, but it's a, not everybody's going to go that far. The point is his lifestyle wasn't moral before, and it certainly wasn't moral afterwards. Last commentary says, even that it was his lifestyle that allowed his conscience towards human life to be seared. Um, I think that type of lifestyle can cheapen human life. Uh, if you just spend your life, Gambling, going to casinos, getting free stuff, going to prostitutes, drinking, just spending your life gambling, you're missing some of the main essences of life. Uh, the greatest, the, the, the golden rule is what? Do unto others, others as you do unto you. What giving, what giving is being done by a, a, a 24-7, you know, uh, casino gambler. He's, he's in the life of taking. And the more you take and take and the more selfish you are, that, that does cheapen a lot of things. Steve. We're going slightly over here, but uh, he had a follow-up comment here where he says, same commenter, uh, to me, the bigger no, difference. One. This is a different thing. That's a different Oh, excuse me. Thank you. It says, to me, the bigger difference that separates it all is the spiritual aspect. Even if things may not be physically destructive, can certainly be spiritually destructive. People Amen. who reject God's word will not ever accept slash understand this. Uh, that's certainly true is when Christians answer to a higher standard, they recognize, well, God said this is wrong. There may not be any immediate outside harm, but God said it's wrong. Therefore, it's spiritually destructive. And a lot of that really does go back to motive. Uh, you know, the Bible, Jesus said, don't just not commit adultery. Don't lust. Uh, you know, there's nothing that outwardly, physically suddenly changes if you're lusting in your heart. But as Scott has just mentioned, it's selfish. And it leads yeah. to these other things. Uh, it doesn't the, necessarily lead as far as it did in this case and almost never, ever does. And it hasn't exactly in the same way. But it is on a path of selfishness. It's at one end of the spectrum at which a lot of people are already on a different end. Yeah. And one of the things that, uh, but, but anyway, yeah. Well, thank you to everyone for your comments and questions today. I think it's been a productive discussion and we've got some, we got some other questions this week that we'll try to cover in future programs, but thank you to everyone who's tuned in. Drew's just screen with our contact information. So if you'd like uh, to study further, uh, if you're listening and you're close to one of us, uh, please uh, let us know, and uh, we'd love to, to study further with you. Scott, what were you saying before you were just cut out? I uh, didn't have anything else. Just okay. thanks, everybody, for the comments. Uh, thank you for joining us. Sorry we ran a little over time, but we didn't want to just quit in the middle of that. Bring us your questions next week, your comments. Please join in at 2 o'clock every Tuesday, and uh, let's keep the conversation going. Thank you, everyone, and have a good day.